Welcome to this week's edition of the Commercial Real Estate 101 Meetup Group. Uh, this is actually a recording uh, from our live in-person event uh, this this past uh, Thursday uh, that was talking about zoning laws. Um, we had a really awesome uh, guest uh, who talked about a variety of different zoning factors for, you know, primarily locally here to Louisville, Kentucky, but a lot of what he talked about also applies to other municipalities across the country. And although some of the zoning laws and maybe processes are slightly different, there are definitely a lot of things within this interview that you guys are going to gain value from. Uh, his name is Nick Perliosco, and he does has done a lot of uh, big rezonings, uh, you know, uh, and, and conditional use permits, et cetera, throughout uh, our uh, municipality. And, you know, I think that he will provide a significant amount of value to you all who are listening to this or watching this on YouTube. So uh, feel free to check it out and uh, looking forward to hearing your guys' feedback. So Jeff's going to be joining us here in a moment. Um, so welcome everyone uh, to this month's uh, meetup for Commercial Real Estate 101. Uh, we actually started meeting in person, uh, geez, about two months ago, if I'm not mistaken. Um, this is our January, so uh, we've been meeting in person. We've been doing a lot of these virtual calls. We've been doing it since 2020, a lot of these virtual calls. So if you guys are watching this on LinkedIn, um, you know, it, we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, today we have awesome, an awesome guest um, to talk a little bit about the zoning process, primarily here in Louisville, Kentucky. So if you guys are watching this outside of, you know, Louisville itself, it may not apply to you, but it's still, you know, certain things that, that may. Uh, so keep stay tuned and see if it's a good fit for you as well. Uh, so, Nick Perliosco, um, great to see you. Um, we're happy to have you. Thanks for being here. Glad to be here. But I appreciate it, and it's the uh, first time I've been out to the, the place here uh, at 1020. It's been uh, really nice, and it's wonderful to see the area. It's really uh, changing with the stadium and all that as well. So. So typically when we have an interview with someone, we like to learn a little bit more about them. So if you don't mind kind of giving us a little backstory on yourself, I think that would be helpful. Yeah, I uh, born and raised here in, in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I went to the University of, Ken University of Kentucky for undergrad. Uh, I went to the University of Louisville or the Brandeis School of Law for uh, law school. But uh, I've uh, been practicing for now 20 years. Seems like it's just been a couple years, but it's been a full 20 years, uh, almost 21 now. Uh, but I've uh, been doing land use work specifically for 12 years, uh, almost 13 so while uh, practicing 21 years, uh, the last 13, I've been doing uh, land use specific work. Before that, uh, most all real estate work as an attorney, handling closings and other aspects of commercial transactions. Uh, but uh, recently uh, focused on uh, land use and uh, it's a somewhat of a specialized area of law, uh, specialized because I think uh, no one else is dumb enough to do it. No one else wants to put up with the headaches, but it's, uh, I think it's also specialized, not because it's too intricate, but it's more, uh, there's a very broad subject area. Uh, and I say that because it's, um, you know, you have to have a, 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 some knowledge of transportation planning, some knowledge of construction, some knowledge of the market, as well as then the land development code, um, is in addition, but, uh, uh, but I've uh, really enjoyed it, and I'm with a small firm, Bardmore, Talbot and Roberts. We're a boutique firm in that um, there are, I guess, five attorneys, uh, but uh, we do uh, predominantly just land use work. 
So my question is a little bit more uh, narrow. So what actually got you interested in zoning law itself? So It's a uh, interesting question. And uh, uh, my uh, family has been in real estate. Uh, uh, my uh, father is a commercial broker. My mother was a residential uh, uh, agent. Uh, and then our uh, family friend was Bill Bardenwerper. Uh, uh, he, uh, Bill is a... Uh, when he started our firm, Barden, Whipper, Talbot, and Roberts, and I got to uh, you know, know him and, and kind of follow his, I don't say career, but his experience with different cases. And, um, you know, it, it really uh, kind of sparked my interest from, from there. Um, the next logical question is, why did I stay in it? Um, because it's, it's not a, uh, it can be a, uh, not an incredibly uh, thankful job other than for your client. And I say that because when you have a, any land use case is a rezoning or a development plan or, or uh, whatever is being proposed, it is a change from what's there today. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's different. People tend to not like things that are different. And, I, and uh, so when we have neighborhood meetings, people that come out are generally to express their displeasure with what you're doing. You know, they want the field that's next to their house to stay a field and all that stuff. But uh, uh, the... Um, it is also uh, it, it's rewarding in the respect that you, at the end of the day, if we are successful and a project is approved and ultimately constructed, you can drive by and see the the, the, the facility, whether it's a you can see the new subdivision that's put in, or you can you know see the the retail development or things of that nature. So, uh, I think from that perspective, it's been very rewarding. No, definitely, and that's that's interesting to see. And obviously, the the work you guys do at your at your firm is is obviously very important for the city's growth long term. So uh, it's exciting to see you do that. So one thing I wanted to kind of talk about was what exactly does the process look like? So you know, again, let's imagine that I have you know a particular use that I want to put on a piece of land, but it's not currently zoned for exactly what I wanted to do. What what does that process look like from start to finish? Very good question, um, and I think the uh, uh, the first thing that um, we uh, always look to when the uh, when somebody comes in and says they want to have a property rezoned, they want to change the use of it. Uh, the, when a person asks that question, they're really asking three things. I think one is what are the chances of success? Two, what is it going to cost me to go through the process? And then three, how long is it going to take to get through? Um, so when we look at it from the very beginning. Uh, the, the test is the comprehensive plan. Uh, locally, we have a land development code and we have a comprehensive plan. The land development code are all the details, the specifics of you know, what has to be complied with, such as setbacks, you know, building area ratios, things of that nature. The comprehensive plan is the impact mitigation plan. It's adopted every 20 years, uh, but um, it's a almost a 100-page book. We just adopted a new one, became effective uh, uh, in 2019. People ask what, it, you know, what is in it or explain what's in it, and it's a very simple answer. It's everything's in it, and I, I say that everything's in it, but if you can think of an impact that a development will have on your neighbor, <laughs> it's yeah. kind of interesting. <laughs> we have the derby going on. The, um, you can think of a, uh, an impact that your property is going to have or your development will have on neighbors, or in the general area, whether that's noise, lighting, traffic, aesthetics, building materials, it's all in there. So then well, our job is then just to try to mitigate that, to try to address the concerns. 
if they're making the traffic worse, is to then figure out if you know there can be turn lanes or things added, et cetera. But we look at that from the beginning, you know, perspective of it. But then from the process to answer the question, it begins with a pre-application filing and then a neighborhood meeting. Uh, I think the reason that I, I mentioned that or it's important is twofold: is that the the one question I said at the very beginning is, is people ask, well, what are the chances of success? Is we we can give, because we've been doing it for a while, a very high degree of certainty as to whether it would be successful just from past experience. We also know that within the first three weeks of starting, we'll know two things. One, are there any technical issues that we didn't know of or think about? You know, things such as sanitary sewer service or, or utilities. And that's all done through our pre-application filing. But then the second thing is we have our neighborhood meeting at the very beginning. So before we file the official application, we have a neighborhood meeting. So you notice all the adjoiners, those in the area, and, and let them know of what's being proposed and, and, and discussed. And then you also, at that meeting, will we'll know, is this something that people are just some a little bit unhappy about or, you know, are they showing up in droves and really wanting to fight and, you know, uh, that so we often say after those first two things being the pre-application filing and the pre-app conference and the neighborhood meeting we can then tell with 95 percent certainty or more whether something's going to be ultimately approved the reason that's important is it goes to the other issue that i mentioned and that is you know what is the cost and the reason i say that is because you can figure out those issues at the very beginning you don't have to go all the way to the end and have the you know the vote of the metro council to figure out is your zoning going to be approved we often know that early on because of those two things, um, you know. But then, uh, back to the process. Once you do officially file the application, uh, then you uh, go through agency review. That agency review is the plan is sent out to the public agencies and the transportation planning, public works, you know, MSD, all that, all those agencies, and they review it. And only when you're satisfying, once you've satisfied all those agencies, are you allowed to go forward. Uh, and, and by that I say going forward, you go to a committee of the Planning Commission, the LDNT committee. It's a technical review for, for the purpose of scheduling the public hearing, and then you have the public hearing in front of the Planning Commission. But um, the, uh, uh, then ultimately, the, the Planning Commission in a rezoning case is just a, it's a hearing. That's where all the evidence is presented by us. The presentation is made, and the, our experts, the traffic expert or engineers, but that's where all the neighbors attend and voice their concerns. And then, but um, ultimately, that's a recommendation to Metro Council of the rezoning to approve it, recommendation to approve it, or a recommendation to deny it. Uh, and the, um, it's Metro Council unless it's in one of the 12 small cities that have zoning authority. Uh, I do mention that because that uh, we do have 12 small cities in Little Metro, the you know St. Matthews, J-Town, Middletown. Even things that you, you know, Douglas Hills, Graymore, Devondale, things you wouldn't necessarily think of, per se. But uh, if it's one of those cities, they would go to the, one of those cities instead. But, uh, uh, but the ultimate decision is made by the the, the city, Metro Louisville, or uh, Metro Council, or the small city. But um, uh, that, and then back to the very beginning, I was saying, from a um, timing perspective, uh, we it really takes six to nine months. Um, I mean, I, I, nine months is probably, a, or seven to eight months is probably the best guesstimate, uh, just if, if something goes through you know, fairly smoothly and you hit the dates right. 
Uh, if it gets really complex or a case such as Top Golf, I think we mentioned earlier, or some of the uh, One Park is a case that we're having a uh, – my law partner has a, a meeting tonight on the, the One Park uh, for the new, new there. Some of those then take longer just because there's more technical aspects of it, but, um, you know, and those could be up to a year. If it, from a commercial real estate perspective, if you're a broker or anything of that nature, we suggest and purchase contracts to have a year contingency just being enough time to get through the process and then uh, always having the appeal contingency at the end. You know, so on rare cases, you know, you do have situations where an approval is appealed and, uh, you know, but then having the ability to continue to uh, defend it or, or fight that in court is always important as well. So, yeah. And I think it's, and, and it may be different in other municipalities or across the country, but here you couldn't just go and say, hey, this uh, this land zone, you know, are for residential. I want to turn it into commercial without having an idea of what exactly you want to put on it. Is that is that correct? That's a very good point uh, uh, because it is it is different in other cities, but it's also different in the rest of the state. Uh, it, but we are a plan certain jurisdiction. Uh, you know, they, you often hear people throw out the term plan certain. I think a lot of people get confused as to what it means because they'll say, "What's the zoning of that property?" And they'll say, "C two." Is it plan certain or pre-plan certain? But all it means is that there's a development plan approved with the rezoning. So with the rezoning, you not only the use, which is the, uh, you know, the, uh, the zoning district, that would change, but then also the uh, uh, development plan is, is approved with it. And the development plan is really what, what provides the uh, detail of how you're going to address all the things I mentioned at the beginning with the comprehensive plan. So you know, if you're going to say, I'm going to address lighting, noise, screening and buffering, I'm going to address traffic, those things. That's all shown and demonstrated through your development plan. So uh, the development plan is, is a, a very important aspect of it uh, with it. So the distinction plan certain, pre-plan certain, pre-plan certain just means the property was always zoned that way. It means it was there when, as an example, I live real, in St. Matthews, close to Shelbyville Road, but if you go down the middle of Shelbyville Road, the, when they, we adopted the zoning, you know, they, the, those first properties were all commercial, so they are all pre-planned certain commercial or C1 uses. Uh, a plan certain is a, a property that had been rezoned over time. Uh, you know, somewhere along the process, they changed it from residential to, to commercial or from C1 to C2 or something of that nature. Uh, but it's a very good point because I think the other thing with a, uh, particularly anybody who's interested in commercial real estate, whether you're a broker, investor, any of that. The other thing is, a, uh, uh, if a plan has been approved, it's plan certain that is binding on the property and it runs with the land. So people often, when they buy properties, they, they get a, a, a title search, they review the title search in tremendous detail, and they look at all the exceptions. But I've been surprised how many times people don't look at, you know, the development plan that was approved. And what are the binding elements? A binding element is a condition of approval. It's just simply when you go through the zoning process, the, uh, uh, the we locally call binding elements conditions of approval, but they uh, are, are binding on the property and run with the land. So um, we had a period of time recently, I say recently, in the last 20 years, where we had a lot of use binding elements. They're not favored anymore. There aren't as many now. But um, it's important because, for example, if you rezone a property to C2, so if you go residential to C2 or C1 to C2, you would, uh, you know, if you go to buy that property, you think, well, it's zone C2. That means I can 
what can I use it for? I pull out my code and I say, well, here, here's a listing of all the uses allowed. But if there's a binding element that prohibits certain ones of those uses, it's important to know that up front, um, you know, because uh, it's always you know, better to, to figure that out. It's just it's something that um, isn't, it doesn't show up on the title itself. Sometimes there are, you know, are certificates of land use restriction that are put on of record. They will kind of tip people off that there is, there is a development plan and that there are binding elements, but it's not always the case. But even a development plan, if there is one, you know, you also would want to maybe look at it, make sure that what is physically there matches what the plan shows. Because just because they, I don't say got away with, but they built something that's not in compliance with the plan, uh, you know, and haven't been cited before doesn't mean that they're not going to be cited in the near future. So uh, we've had a number of cases where clients have come to us and they said, well, I just bought the property. I thought it was fine. And then, you know, I found out that he, this, the seller didn't build the second entrance or he didn't build the berm that was committed and, and obligated to, to build. So it's uh, always helpful to, to know that stuff up front as well. Um, I know that you named a couple little mishaps that business owners, investors, brokers do in the past. Are there any others that are that commonly repeat themselves from uh, from you know client to client that you want to elaborate on? Yeah, the um, so there's a, a couple things with that. One, the um, you know uh, if you look at all of our the rezoning cases that we have. Uh, you know, by and large, um, those are uh, in two different categories. One are, are cases where somebody has, is going through and, um, you know, they have a property they want to uh, redevelop or develop for the first time. It may be a field. It may be a, uh, maybe a residential home that they want to, uh, you know, to, to develop. Uh, and they, you know, are going through it to uh, make a profit and sell it, or they want it for their use, their business, things of that nature. That's one thing. Then the other aspect, the other whole other side of it is our enforcement cases. And those are cases where, you know, somebody has uh, uh, been using a property that uh, is in violation of its zoning. Uh, you know, and, and that is a case where, you know, it, it, uh, the use that has been there for some time, you know, it, it may not be allowed in the existing zoning district. So eventually there would be, well, often are cited. And, and they, uh, you know, then have to, uh, uh, you know, go through and, and file the, uh, you know, application for one, one of two things. Either you can rezone the property, or uh, you can have non-conforming rights. Uh, you know, so there are for properties that are, are ones that um, you know, don't match the current zoning. They could have non-conforming rights, and they could be valid legal non-conforming rights. That just means that it's been in operation and use since the time it was, um, either the zoning came into effect. Or it's been in, in you know use since they changed the zoning, et cetera. Uh, but it's really the front end is to uh, you know look at that from the perspective of, of you know the question of things get people get tripped up on or, or, or whatnot in development. I think the main thing in, in in the by far in that case is sanitary sewers locally. I mean in, in Louisville Metro it is infrastructure, but predominantly sanitary sewers. And I say that because. Um, you know, it, it's you'd be amazed at how many times we've worked on cases where there's a, a you know, it's a very large development and they have a high-profile New York law firm representing the buyer, developer, and, you know, and they you know, have these huge legal fees and all that stuff, but no one ever sits there and verifies, well, not only do they have the, uh, you know, access to sanitary sewers, 
And by that, I mean, do they, are they directly next to it, or can they get the easement, or they have easements? But also, is there sufficient capacity in the plant? Um, you know, that's a uh, one that has, um, you know, it, it changes over time, and that's always important. So the reason I say that is that there are always things to, you know, look at, uh, you know, from make sure you, you know, you can get the little water service, you can get, you know, your gas and electric, you have your entrance things, but sanitary service is, is, is the biggest one. And the, really the other issue with that is this, that the reason that's the problem here more than maybe other cities is because of the fact that uh, just historically we have, um, we haven't, you know, some jurisdictions, some cities have a belief that if you build it, then they will come. If you build the infrastructure, development will fill in after it. Uh, locally, what happens, and this is both with roads and with sanitary sewer service, really, is that it's built as the development occurs. And so that is, you know, there, there'd be a, a area where there's a whole, whole area that doesn't have service. It's on septic system now. And it, we build it. It's kind of the, the next property builds, and they extend the line. Then the next property builds, and they extend it a little further. And it kind of goes over time, and it's slow. So there's, we just have a larger area that doesn't have that, uh, you know, with it. The other one is uh, uh, the big two, I guess, would be that uh, sanitary sewer, and then also the, you know, the, uh, I'll say traffic, but I mean it's really, uh, you know, the uh, the, uh, the traffic management or access, you know, whether it's the, you know the uh, a lot of the issues of just that there's bad traffic in the area that can be addressed in many ways, but you know having curb cuts or things of that nature. For example, if you have a property that's a residentially zoned property and it's on a major road, if it's, you, you know, if it has a driveway today, it doesn't mean you get to keep your driveway if you rezone it because the, you know, it would be a different use then. So um, we've had a number of times that people come in to us and they, you know, uh, or get further along in the process and then find out that, wait a minute, I, you know, the, I bought three houses, all three of them have driveways, they're all on Taylorsville Road or Shelbyville Road or, or, you know, these roads, but of course I can have access. Well, no, it, it, it all depends on, you know, meeting the requirements. So uh, that's the other one to, to kind of flesh out. But that goes back to what I was saying at the very beginning, and that is, you know, the, uh, when you file a pre-application that's early on, those are the type of things that you can flesh out so that you don't get too far down the road to, uh, to your ultimate hearing before, um, you know, you find those, those, those matters out. And with that, one of the things that uh, it goes to that point. Uh, you, know, you just asked a very simple question. I keep talking, but what I'm, what I'm, the, uh, you know, sometimes you'll hear people say, in a, particularly project opponents will say, well, the development process is fixed, or because 97 percent of cases are approved, or 90. I forgot the stat. I mean, it's traditionally more than 95 percent, but they'll cite it and say that you know that just shows that it's you know the planning commission is is you know, siding on the side of the developers or things of that nature. And, and the honest answer is that what we do is when somebody comes to us and says, I'm thinking about zoning a property, there's a lot of them that we say just it's not worth your time or effort. It's not going to happen. So they don't ever file the application. Or we have a cases where, you know, we think it's a, you know, we, we think we can address the impacts and they get for, they go further along the process and then we go through the, the technical review and we find out there are technical issues and then we pull the project or we get to the point, you know, even at beyond that, where we find out there's so much neighborhood opposition that it's just, you know, our clients bail. By the time we get to the public hearing and then ultimately get to Metro Council making a, a decision and voting, you know, it, it, the, there's a lot of attrition where, you know, the, the cases that are questionable or ones that wouldn't have been approved, 
are pulled just because, you know, we tell clients it's not worth going forward, or they make that decision themselves. So, uh, you know, that's just one thing I, I hear often, and I wanted to, to, to you know, to mention that uh, it's the, uh, you know, good cases are approved, bad cases are denied. It's just, uh, you know, the bad cases tend to weed out earlier on in the process. That's probably a good thing, like you said, because, you know, if, if, if it has no chance of getting approved down the line, it's better for them to bow out early than having to spend God, know, God knows what type of money in order to make it to the end and realize that it's not actually going to go through. So I think that it is a wise decision for a lot of people just to bow out when they do. So um, one of the main questions I get asked a lot is that we, we there's a lot of people out there that, you know, deal in the commercial in the re- residential realm, but they're, they're like they want to delve into the commercial side and one of the ways to potentially do it is is identifying properties in an area that's surrounded by commercial property it may be residentially zoned and then rezoning it to some other you know commercial use and they can utilize it for whatever different purposes they want to can you kind of talk a little bit about what that that looks like and and again similar to what we talked about some of the hurdles and challenges that 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 you see when people looking to do something similar sure definitely and they uh so when people are, uh, uh, you know, uh, there are there are certain brokers who specialize, not specialize, but they, they really focus on finding development land, land that's undeveloped that could be developed, in, in, in whether it's rezoned or whether it's simply a, a development plan. Or, you know, one thing we haven't talked about, but it's, it's subdivisions. Uh, and I say that because, you know, the uh, uh, subdivision doesn't necessarily, you know, require zoning. Um, but, um, you know, the... Uh, uh, what I think uh, people who are looking at properties that are undeveloped, it's to uh, the, um, it focus on maybe what are the, um, are the uh, could be the potential issues or concerns. And what I say that is, as an example, um, you know, we uh, always say, and let's tell everybody here, is that if you're interested in, in having a discussion about a property, can, be, or can it be rezoned? Is it worth considering? We always talk to everybody. We don't charge people for, you know, pulling the information, pulling the prior plan, pulling the binding elements, as well as, uh, you know, other cases in the area, and then giving feedback. We don't charge for that, uh, you know, to do that. So because of that, we often, we get a lot of calls, and a lot of them never go forward. They're, they, they just, you know, they're, they're ones that don't don't move forward. And the reason I say that is because, you know, we, we get calls, and I had one just earlier this week where somebody called, and they said, you know, I'm thinking about rezoning this property. It's vacant today. It's, you know, I want to rezone it to commercial. And, and I said, well, the problem is sewers, and you can't get access and answer this question. He said, why don't you, he goes, I didn't even tell you the address. I just told you where, where it was, I mean, the intersection. I said, well, you know, you think that this is the most perfect property, and you're the first person to ever think about rezoning it, or, or you know, that it would be a great property. So some of the reason I say that is, is that we're, you know, the becoming a built environment, you know, in Louisville Metro, uh, so that uh, a lot of the properties that you, you know, the, I think they're becoming more and more difficult, and I say that because they tend to have more problems or issues. Uh, and so a lot of times we will have heard of properties or we will, have, you know, there'll be certain properties that people think of that uh, to rezone or to develop, and uh, but there is a picket, but there is a particular problem with them. Um, so one thing would be is to identify those uh, early on. As far as from a subdivision perspective, the other thing is, is, you know, from Little Metro, we're not, we're a, a largely a built environment. And I say that because more and more, I think you're going to see new residential development occurring in the surrounding counties, maybe the, the greater 
Louisville area, but not in Metro Louisville. So the Southern Indiana, but Oldham, Shelby, things of that those nature. Uh, there aren't the huge tracts of land left in, in Louisville Metro. Uh, but you know, if um, and then even with, for example, uh, we had one time helped create a list of all the potential areas where could be developed, all the lots that would be developed, and uh, almost 50% of them were in 60% of the, the lots that would be potential development lots in Little Metro were in the Floyd's Fork area and uh, near the parklands of Floyd's Fork, out Tails Road, the, but they don't have sewers there now. So, I mean, it's, it's again, it's back to that same issue, but uh, the other thing. And, um, and then with that, is one interesting question that wasn't asked, but it's also directly related to what you're saying, but is... You know, they, we sometimes get the question of, okay, well, what is the hardest thing to get approved in Little Metro? What is, you know, what is the, what rezoning is it is the most difficult to do? Is it um, for a gas station? Is it, a, you know, a, a assisted living or, you know, you name them. And uh, the, the honest answer is it's not a rezoning. It's a, it's a um, subdivision. A single family subdivision tends to have the most opposition, the most, you know, people that come out, they're most often appealed. They're, um, you know, they, and those are cases where, you know, it's, it, it is a matter of right. You don't have to, you know, a zoning is a discretionary approval. It's a, you know, they base it on the comp plan, but they decide whether it makes sense to rezone the property, and it's the discretion of the planning commission. In a subdivision case, it's a ministerial review. It's, it's, just, you know, if you, as long as you check the boxes, you're entitled to your approval. Those tend to be the ones that have the most opposition as well as the, uh, uh, the ones that become the most difficult ultimately with the longest hearings, most repeat hearings, things of that nature. Uh, the reason I say that is, is that um, sometimes we have people that we were talking about, if you find a property and say, let's be great for a subdivision, and it's a, it's a residential subdivision and it's going to back up to a residential subdivision, well, that's a no-brainer. I mean, you, you, people think that often, and, but it's not the case because then people often look at it, well, you know, our homes are a little bit bigger or nicer or bigger lots, or that's generally what we end up, uh, you know, coming to. And, and really, and, and that's related to the, the market now is small lots. What's changed in the last five, ten years is now people want, they still want the big house, but they want a smaller lot. Uh, and so the 50-foot wide lots are what the uh, production builders are building. And that's, uh, you know, what everybody wants. It uh, doesn't mean it won't be an expensive home, but that's, the, you know, what's really the, in the market. And that's um, what people tend to, uh, to look to get approved with it. I think now we'll uh, open it up for Q&A. Uh, oh, okay, the, the question was, is she uh, has a commercial property and she's got three different buildings. It's all in the same plat. But in the rear of the property, she has a carriage house, and uh, people have offered to purchase that. So her question was, can't, does she need to rezone that to a residential structure in order to sell that particular building? Uh, the answer is you would not. Uh, now the, uh, it, so it, in you know, the commercial zoning districts, uh, in it, C1 or C2, or even if you're going in from, you know, from the residential zoning districts up to the OR, OR1, OR2, OR3, then C1, C2, those all allow residential uses. And it, it's just the density that you're allowed. And, and honestly, in, in, in uh, C1, you can have over 200 dwelling units an acre. So I mean, vertical, it's 235 dwelling units an acre, but it's, the design is that you would be able to go 
for a high rise or something. But so it is allowed. What you would run into there would be just an issue of uh, if you were to, to subdivide the lot, it would be a minor plat process, minor subdivision plat process. And there, it's just uh, as long as you can, I'll say, check the boxes, but where you have direct access. If the carriage house would have to have direct access off of an alley and meet their the, this, the, their code requirements, but it, it wouldn't have to be uh, to be rezoned. So yeah, you do, we, and there. What, so the question that was asking as a follow-up is that uh, if you have a, a home and then a, uh, a carriage house, you have to access it through the middle or, or kind of through the side. Um, you know, can it still be uh, so divided? And the answer would be as long you can address that through easements. Even for example, I mean, what I'm saying that is is that even if your direct access is through the front, you can still have an access easement. It doesn't prohibit the subdivision. What would generally be the issue would be um, uh, when Situations like you're talking about is they would, uh, when you create lot lines, sometimes then you trigger situations where you need a variance or waiver. Uh, and by that, I mean if you, you know, you have to meet the certain the uh, setback requirements. If you're creating a new lot line, you can change. The, it could change the setback, but it doesn't. It wouldn't be prohibited. And, and to that question is uh, something that's a broader question, and that is, you know, the the. the in Louisville Metro, there is uh, always a topic of the day. I say top of the day or the year, or et cetera. For, it has been trees for the last couple of years. Um, we had a new tree survey that was done just recently or updated. And it seems like we're at least not, we're making ground. We're not getting worse. But the uh, the new one is the missing middle housing. Uh, that's the, the, they call it missing middle, but it's anything from a duplex to 50 units. So it's not single family and it's not a large apartment project. It's the duplex to 50. So there's been a real push to uh, allow those as a matter of right in different zoning districts, as well as um, in, even beyond their uh, uh, pushing to have the uh, carriage houses or mother-in-law suites, however you prefer to them, you know, as a matter of right in single-family zoning districts where they would previously have required rezoning. So that what you're talking about as far as, um, you know, having a, Separate dwelling unit in an accessory structure behind the main structure is not only one that's, it's one that's honestly being promoted and even changed to a matter of right in some some cases as well. Any other questions we have pertaining to? You got one. So so the question that was asked was pertaining to short-term rentals. So here. Uh, in Louisville, the the area that he's talking about is is, is along a major highway. It it, it it makes sense to rezone uh, to commercial type of use. It's currently zoned residential. He wants to switch it to commercial. But he was wondering if there's something more specific that targets just short-term rental usage in the city. So, yeah, it's a it's a good question, and the uh, it, I'll uh, give a little background and answer your question at the same time with it, but because there's really two options, um, but. Um, so when, so with the uh, short-term rentals, short-term rentals are Airbnb. Uh, you know, it, it could be VRBO, you name it. The the those those type uses, uh, short-term rentals, anything 30 days or less. And I, I know you know this. I'm just providing more context for people who may not. But uh, the so a short-term rental is if you want to have the ability to rent a space for less than 30 days. And you know, every city does uh, different. And there was when this occurred in Louisville uh, in the last five years. There's a lot of discussion. Well, how's Louisville going to address it? Uh, you know, the the idea of a short-term rental. So, if you have if you have a short-term rental and you reside in the home, you want to rent out your uh, a 
you know, bedroom or you're, you're going to be you, you're, it's your, your residence, you can do that as a matter of right. Now, if, if you don't live there, you would need a conditional use permit. And so that's one avenue of dealing with the issue that you're talking about, the rezoning being the second, which I'll talk about in a second. But the so a conditional use permits for um, for a short-term rental, what happened is there was we had we adopted locally our conditional use permit regulation, and then there weren't many filings. I mean, the people didn't, you know, you look at the Board of Zoning Adjustment, a, a conditional use permit is a case that goes to the Board of Zoning Adjustment rather than the Planning Commission, but you, you didn't see many of them. And then we would get calls, to, you know, for people, and they would say, uh, you know, I got cited for renting my my place for a short-term rental, but, you know, uh, they told me to go through the process. So the, the only penalty was for not complying. So if you're begging for, for, for forgiveness, not asking for permission, the only, the only penalty was they made you go through the process. They eventually got to where they, um, about three years ago, uh, got to uh, where they got Airbnb to require the approval to put it on their system. And then all of a sudden we had a floodgate, and it seemed like at that point the Board of Zoning Adjustment dockets went from seven cases to 20 cases, and it was just an inundation of, of short-term rentals. And I, I am answering your question. It's been a wrong, long way of getting there. But what I'm saying is, is that because of that, there was an overreaction. Not overreaction. There was, there was a pushback on it. So now if you have a short-term rental for a, a conditional use permit for a short-term rental, there is a 600-foot rule. It means if there is an approved conditionally uh, approved CUP for a short-term rental within 600 feet of the property you own, or you have it, then you are uh, you're not allowed to have a short-term rental CUP unless you get a waiver or, or you know forgiveness from that. You know it, they call it a waiver, but it's not a traditional waiver. It's a relief from the requirement. That's become more harder and harder to do. The idea was they don't want certain areas, whether it's uh, like certain parts of the Highlands or um, I mean, if, if you look at the map of all the approved short-term rentals, almost all of them are inside the Waterson. So, you know, it's, it's, it's more of the traditional neighborhoods. They didn't want clusters of them, so they had the 600-foot rule. So the other option is a rezoning, and that may be what really works well from in, potentially in your case. Now, a rezoning would be, is, you know, a, a, you know a, a short-term rental is nothing different than a hotel or a motel. I mean, it's the same zoning, you know, districts. You would, would allow that, whether it's in... OTF, office tourists, or C1, C2. I mean, those zoning districts would, would, would work for those. And if you have multiple units that you want to lease, then the rezoning is the way to go. So what I'm saying is, is if you have a, for example, a duplex, and you want to rent both of them, and you want to have both of the units be short-term rental, then you would need to go through the rezoning. If you had a building that you had wanted to be an apartment building where there would be a templex, and you wanted to have every one of those, as a, a, a short-term rental, you would need to go through the rezoning. And as far as the zoning district to go to, it would be the, uh, the, the what we always suggest and what's always really required is the least intensive zoning district that allows what you want to do. So uh, that would either be the OTF or C1, most likely. But um, And then it's just a matter of this, this, does it have any any other issues that may come up with setbacks or things of that nature? I don't know if that answer your question. Yes, and I can, well, I can just give you my card afterward and show you. But it would be basically the hotel or motel use. So if you look into the land uses, uh, so if you're in, 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 in explain as if, for example, um, the way our code reads is if you take C2 as an example, you know, the C2, it says if you go to the code, it says here are the permitted uses, and there's a list of 20 or 30 uses. 
And then the very first one is, is all the uses in C1. So what happens is, is it's, it's, so if you are looking at it, you would generally would have to do is, is you know, you kind of have to look at C2 and then, then go back to C1, but it's the hotel or motel use would be the defined or delineated use that you'd be looking for and that, um, you know, would be the uh, described. And it's just really anything that's less than 30 days it would be the, uh, you know, what would be the, the kind of what's allowed. And there's, you know, there's uh, now more people talking about having these, uh, particularly down in this area, really, the Nulu area, as well as the downtown area of having, you know, developments where they're built as short-term rentals. You know, they're, they're you, if you looked at them, you'd think they were an apartment project, you know, a, a apartment development, but they're just not going to be, you know, they would be all on Airbnb and that. And the idea being is that, that would be a rezoning, but then you could also buffer and screen and deal with the issues. You, you tend to have a little bit more scrutiny. But then to answer the next part of the question is just a, a conditional use permit is quick, and that is that you file your application, have your neighborhood meeting, and they docket you for your board of zoning adjustment date. It can be, um, you could, from the date of filing to your date, you could be five to seven weeks. I mean, you know, from start to finish, the rezoning is more involved, costs more money, and, you know, if you're talking about the six months or six to eight months process. So it, and you have to have a land plan engineer. It just becomes more, more involved. But it makes more sense, the rezoning makes more sense if you uh, are looking for uh, potentially more than one unit, you know, being uh, rented as short-term rental. And then I had a quick question pertaining to the value. And, and again, more so on the value side. So, you know, given the fact that some of these higher zone properties have more uses that fall under them, does that also increase the value of those those different zonings? Yeah, I think so. I mean, inherently, the uh, you know, they from a uh, perspective of, of appraisal value or what is the value of the property, the, um, you know, a, a commercial zoning you know, is more valuable. Now, I, I always, people sometimes ask me, and I'll say, you know, they'll ask me about a property, and I'll say, okay, it may be zoned commercial, it may be zoned C2, but from a practical perspective, you can't do much with it for these reasons, and it may be some of the ones we talked about or whatever. But, you know, it, so it, it, it doesn't mean necessarily that it's inherently worth more or more, but it, I know for a fact that if you, it's, it will always be worth more, considered to be worth more, because when they start to, you know, if you're getting appraisal and they do comps, they'll use commercial comps versus, you know, the, the residential or the lower zoning district, you know, comps. So it, it always is viewed as that. Um, we had even a case where we were um, purchasing we a large development and there was surplus right-of-way next to it. The state had surplus right-of-way. They didn't need. So we had it. Um, the client said, well, I'd like to acquire it. I'd like to buy this extra strip of land because it actually really helps my development. Went through the process, and we were the, the surplus process. They designated a surplus, and they had a appraisal done, and they determined they said the property was worth twelve thousand dollars. It was a strip of a strip that was only ten feet wide and real minor. They said well, it was worth you know twelve thousand dollars. They said then they came back and said wait wait wait, wait, wait. You, we didn't know this was going to be added to your development. We said yeah, they, it's going to be added to it. They said. I said, okay, well, it's $670,000. We said, wait a minute. It was 12000 a minute ago. Now you're talking 
And we're not talking about rezoning it. What they had done is the appraiser had then gone back, and this was actually what I'm talking about was a student housing development in Old, in old Louisville, but it was right by uh, 65. And they had determined, the appraiser actually astutely determined, he said that without this strip of land, they were going to, this developer was going to lose X number of apartments. And this, no matter what, they could not fit. But by having this little strip of land, they were able to, to move it, and they were, and I don't remember the number, but it was very significant. They just said, well, so that's worth to you 670000 but it, it, it goes partially to your, your point is when they look at it from the perspective of just the residential zoning, it's not worth as much, but when, it, when they look at it from the perspective of whether it's rezoned or just used in connection with a, re, a developed zone property, it's worth more, and it could be worth quite a bit more, really. So, is there any more questions? I didn't. No. Okay. Um, if I know everybody is probably going to have questions once they go home, and people that are actually uh, viewing this live and later on, uh, how can we get in contact with you uh, if they have any more questions? Sure. And uh, uh, feel free to call us anytime. Uh, our uh, it's Bard Norper Talbot and Roberts is the law firm. It's bardlaw.net. So B-A-R-D-L-A-W.net is our website. It has our information. Uh, phone number is 426-6688. But uh, I also, like I said, I tell people all the time to contact us uh, uh, if you have a property you're interested in possibly rezoning. We don't charge to give advice. Um, you know, there, was, I, there, there have been days where I feel like I spent the whole day doing nothing but telling people, I'm giving free advice to people, telling them that the project may work, may not work. Again, a lot of times, you know, people come back later. The reason I say that is, is that if you have uh, the information that you may be able to find, but it may take you a little while longer to find, uh, we can do that really quickly and send it to you. So, uh, you know, we, uh, our emails are on the, the website as well, so feel free to contact us, and we're happy to, to you know, give that advice. Of, uh, and also, there's sometimes where we have situations where people ask us, so, you know, think about rezoning this property for this use, and we will come back and say, well, it doesn't really work for these issues, but here's a great use for it. You know, it's just a different, it's not necessary. And, and we may even know people that are interested in, you know, looking for property like that. My point is, is that they, you know, just because there's a problem doesn't mean it's insurmountable or it can't be uh, overcome. It just may be a little bit different than maybe what's originally proposed or, or thought of. Yeah, we'll include that in the show notes. If you guys are watching this live, it'll be in the description below so you guys can get in contact with him. And I can attest to their their advice. I've, I've, I've actually had a meeting with him before for one of my clients who was looking to rezone a piece of property, and he provided great advice, sent emails and everything too. So we didn't end up going, moving forward with it, but you know, ultimately it was good advice, and you know, it helped us save a lot of time, So, <laughs> which is the ultimate point. So, again, well, thank you all for stopping by. Uh, we do this once a month, the, the third Wednesday of every month, so – Feel free to stop by. We're going to be hanging out and just talking. So uh, great to see you all. Great. Great, great job, yeah.